Dr. Randall Cook has more than four decades of bedside practice as a general and vascular surgeon. He holds certifications from the American Board of Surgery and the American Board of Preventative Medicine in the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medicine subspecialty, as well as certifications from the American Professional Wound Care Association and the American Board of Wound Management. He is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and the Southeastern Surgical Congress and formerly served as a designated medical examiner for the Federal Aviation Administration. He is now a coach with mdcoaches.com and host of both the Prescription for Success podcast and Inside the Doctor's Lounge. Those are some fantastic podcasts with great guests, and you should definitely check them both out. We talk about coaching. He convinces me why I should get a career coach, and I'm a bit of a coaching skeptic. Why coaching has suddenly become so popular and the history of why we didn't have coaches before, how to find direction for those of us who are rudderless in our career, and how to advance in an academic career or in a healthcare system. One hint, be on committees and listen. How to get through those committee meetings, and how to tell the difference between needing a coach and needing a therapist. And finally, how to tell when it's time to hang up the stethoscope or the scalpel. Dr. Cook has worked as a solo practitioner, small single specialty group, and a large multi-specialty clinic. He's been chairman of the Department of Surgery for Jackson Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, as well as president of the medical staff and member of the hospital's board of trustees. Upon leaving surgery, he served as the medical director of the Jackson Wound and Hyperbaric Medicine Center and as a zone medical director for Heologics, the largest wound care provider in the country. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Need access to cash at fair rates? Doc2Doc Lending believes that when debt can be avoided, it should be. They also realize, however, that sometimes borrowing is necessary to help doctors overcome short-term cash issues to improve long-term personal financial health. Founded and led by fellow doctors, all of whom started out as cash-strapped residents, Doc2Doc Lending exists not only to meet doctors in their moments of need, but to do so in a way that assesses and appreciates each doctor borrower as only fellow physicians can. Apply for the loan you need with doc to doc Lending at drpodcastnetwork.com slash doc2doc, that's the number two. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash doc2doc. Dr. Randy Cook, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you. So what made you want to become a coach? You've had you know, a lot of different aspects to your career at this point. At what point, you know, at what point did you say, you know what, this is something that I'd like to get into? Uh, I hope I'm going to surprise you a little bit with the answer. Uh, I never had any intention of being a coach. <laughs> and uh, if if you want to hear the long version of the story, I guess you can edit it out if it gets too long. Uh, I was uh, approaching retirement. And I had actually decided that I was going to accelerate the process because I was becoming more and more disenchanted with what I had to put up with. You know, we've all been there. 
the bureaucrats that you have to deal with, the EMR, the EMR that you have to deal with, the regulation that you have to deal with. And day by day by day, it seemed to me that people were listening to me less and less and less, and I was really disenchanted. So I started to think about just clocking out. So Rhonda Crow, who is the CEO of uh, MD Coaches, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but she called me one afternoon in November uh, in 2018, I think, and uh, we had known each other a long time. Uh, we, we, we both worked in the same uh, wound care management company together. I was an instructor for them for their physician onboarding program. So she knew a little bit about my background. She knew I had a background in radio. And anyway, she said she was going to start a coaching service aimed primarily at physicians. And she wanted to publicize it with a podcast. And uh, she went on to tell me what she wanted the format to look like. And uh, she immediately thought of me and uh, what, what I considered doing it. And, uh, you know, it really took me completely by surprise. And um, I hadn't really made any decisions at that time. So I said, you know, Rhonda, I, let me think about it. So a couple of months went by and uh, professionally things had gotten even worse. So we talked again and I said, okay. I'll do your podcast. And we began to talk about what that was going to be like. And uh, and she said, and of course, I'm going to want you to be a coach too. So, <laughs> so okay, I, I might as well go for the whole sandwich, you know. Go all in. Load so she everything set the trap and you stepped in it yeah. and then she had you. Yeah, yeah she did. <laughs> so that's how it started. And, and frankly, at that point, I didn't have a great deal of enthusiasm for the coaching aspect. But I enrolled in a, I mean, I had to get some training. I had to get certified as a coach. Uh, and it was in that process uh, that uh, my, my instructor in that course happened to be a physician as well. Uh, he was a retired psychiatrist. And over the six months of the course, I really got excited about it and uh, began to be intrigued by what I might do and what I might have to offer and things of that nature. Uh, went through the whole course, did all the things that I had to do, jumped through the proper hoops, did my practice coaching, took the uh, coaching examination, and uh, got myself certified. So there is a very long answer to your question of what <laughs> made me want to become a coach. So that actually is going to put me in two different directions for the follow-up. The first one was you mentioned that you went from retirement to coaching, right? Right. So you decided you were fed up with the EMR, you were fed up with bureaucracy and regulations. And so my a question that I was going to ask later, I'm going to ask now, which is, how did you know when it was time to stop seeing patients? But it sounds like it wasn't because you wanted to stop seeing patients. It was because That's of exactly all it. That, that went along with it. And then yeah. my my uh, to that also, how will I know when it's time for yeah. me to stop seeing patients? And I'm going to have to tell you, I've to, to take your last question first, I think it just necessarily has to be different for everybody. And even at the time that I walked out the door, I can't say that I was completely convinced that I was doing the right thing. That that was something that I had to accommodate. So the seeing the patient part was not anything that I ever dreaded. And I was still really good at it, if I do say so myself. So, you know, I just uh, uh, deciding that it was time to get away from the patients was never part of it. But 
after I did and uh, after I began to feel some really personal satisfaction in doing the podcast and uh, doing the coaching training and the things that go along with that, I, I really felt good about it because I realized that indeed I, I had quite a bit more to offer other than direct patient care, particularly to young physicians who have not had the benefit of uh, more than four decades in practice like I have. And then when you were talking about getting into coaching, it sounds like you weren't totally sold on being a coach from the beginning, right? And mm -hmm. myself, I'm a bit of a coaching skeptic. I don't have a coach. Mm -hmm. And now I think in general, we can do everything better in life if we have a good coach, right? From playing a sport to eating well to parenting to, you know, every aspect of life, we could do better if we had someone that we could check in with, with more expertise than us and an outside perspective to counsel with. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk to me about how you went from a coaching skeptic to a coaching believer in the hopes of maybe converting me and some of our listeners? Yeah, I, I think maybe I can. You might imagine I've had a good bit of time to think about the whole, all the philosophic aspects of this entire move. And I realized, uh, actually, almost quite before my eyes, the way we find our way through the world as physicians changed uh, dramatically over the 44 years that I practiced. Uh, in, in those early days, uh, it was much like the old medieval apprenticeship system. And in fact, the medieval physicians uh, learned in exactly that way. They, they didn't sign up for university. They found uh, someone who was willing to take them under their wing and, and learn the craft. And that, that continued. Interestingly, as I expect you're probably aware, we were late to really buy into that and, uh, and improve on that in this country. It, it went on in Europe for quite a long time and it took us a while for the U.S. to catch up and, and, and have medical universities. But even after university, there was this thing that we called internship and residency. And back in those early days, uh, when you signed on for that kind of training, you, you, I mean, you were a resident. You were just going to be there until your chief decided that you were done. It was only much later that the numbers of years were prescribed and and that sort of thing. So the, uh, and, I, and I forget where we were going with the- well, You're trying to convince you know, yeah, me where, why I need a coach. Why you need a coach. Well, historically, good coaching was built into our training. And then once we were trained, we associated ourselves with people who were in a similar circumstance, many of whom had more experience than we did. Uh, so we, we established a bit of a mentorship role, if you will, which is a little bit different from coaching. And so- what I see or my view of medicine in the 21st century is that we have lost the ability to take advantage of those mentorship opportunities. The doctor lounge has all but disappeared. Uh, nobody has any time because you got to be productive. Uh, the, 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 the opportunities to develop those close relationships with people who uh, are older and more experienced than you are just simply not as available as they once were, in my opinion. And uh, that has left the door wide open, I think, for uh, the uh, opportunity for coaches and mentors. 
So previously, when you joined a, a practice, you would join someone with an established practice, and then that person became your de facto mentor. When you mm-hmm. joined a practice, one of the reasons you would join someone is because you felt this is someone that you could work closely with and admire. That's exactly and right. And in, in today's environment, that's not really what we're doing. We're we're getting hired, and there may be some mentorship with your department chairman, or but it's not really, that relationship is not the same as it used to be. I think it's uh, dramatically different. And and even uh, as a youngster, if you will, if you didn't join an established practice, uh, likely as not, uh, you were going to be uh, admitting patients to hospitals. So you would come into contact with other physicians who had more experience with you and you would find people that you gravitate to and you uh, have those uh, conversations in the doctor's lounge and and, and you were able to uh, take advantage of the experience of your older peers. Yeah. Uh, and again, like I say, I think those opportunities are substantially less evident or less visible, less available than they were 40 years ago when I started. So when you have clients, I guess would be the term, uh, yeah. that are looking for a coach, what are some of the more common reasons why someone might approach someone or even some reasons that might not be intuitive but are common nonetheless? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that I think people are still trying to figure that out because this is a relatively new thing. Uh, but uh, and the other thing, which is really a crapola answer, is that there are probably as many different reasons for people finding a coach as there are people. Uh, maybe they've reached a point where they want to make some kind of adjustment in their career, whatever it might be. Uh, maybe they want to take on another partner. Maybe they want to get out of a group and be an independent practitioner. Uh, maybe they want to go back to residency and uh, do a different specialty altogether. It could be practically anything. It could be a more dramatic change like that. I guess probably if I had to put my finger on the most common thing, it would be people who feel like the system is not working quite right and they'd like to make a difference. They'd like to make a change. They'd like to get into uh, a position of influence or leadership in some way, whether it be, um, you know, something as simple as improving their participation in the committee structure of their hospital uh, or something as lofty as uh, I want to be the CEO of a hospital someday and all, you know, all those things uh, in between. But everybody comes with their own story. And the object of the coach becomes to hear that need and uh, see if a, uh, a plan can be constructed to uh, to get the uh, solution in motion. So you were the chair of the Department of Surgery, president of the medical staff, and on the hospital's board of trustees, right? So you said, Twice. you know, those those academic pursuits. So if you had someone with similar pursuits that you just mentioned, um, what advice would you have? Um, that's a very important question. It's, and, and I think before you can offer that kind of advice, you need to uh, make sure that you interrogate uh, the person who is being coached 
and try to figure out just exactly what it is they want. And that's, uh, you know, I, most people know uh, if they're from the outside looking in that the most important part of solving a problem is figuring out what the problem is. And uh, so many times uh, you talk to people who say, I'm not just exactly sure what I want to do, but I know I want to do something different. So uh, item number one becomes uh, try to figure out just exactly what it is you want, what you want to change about your uh, current situation, uh, whether it be personal or professional or whatever. And as soon as you can agree uh, on uh, on that, and 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 in my uh, approach is to is to make them write it down. You know, give me three bullet points, okay? Uh, and then at that point, we can start talking about things one at a time. But clearly, nobody can be helped unless they know where they want to be. That's right out of Alice in Wonderland when uh, when 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 Alice said, "Where should I go?" I, I think it was. I can't remember if it was the White Rabbit, but somebody said it depends entirely on where you're going. <laughs> so what about for someone like me? I don't know where I'm going, but it's definitely not academia, right? Uh -huh. It's I'm in private practice. I like being in private practice. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole world out there, a whole world that I, I don't know about. I don't know what I don't know, mm -hmm. right? So... If I'm interested in learning what other opportunities are out there, aside from starting a podcast and interviewing people from <laughs> with the different aspirations, um, how, how do I find myself some direction? Like if, if I just need to, if I feel like I'm in a rut and I'm doing the same thing every day, I've been in the same two rooms every day, seeing the same problems and I mm. enjoy it, but at the same time, the monotony starting to get to me. Uh, how do I even find out what opportunities are out there aside from podcasting in my basement? <laughs> uh, gosh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to thank you for teeing me up to talk about my own podcast, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've done a great job. To be a little trite about it, uh, I think the answer to that uh, is simply uh, if you want to change something, your limits are only uh, within your own imagination. But that is that that is the case. And 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 if you're at that point where uh, you know you're really kind of unhappy with what you're doing right now and you want to do something different, then I think uh, my advice to that person would be rather than trying to put together a uh, a detailed coaching plan right now, do a little research and try to figure out exactly what you want to do. And, and what I do uh, every week on my podcast is to talk to physicians who have been successful in a lot of different areas. Some of them are clinicians and uh, some of them are a lot of other different things. And by opening your eyes to the possibility, I think uh uh, unless you've done that ahead of time, I think you're making a serious mistake by thinking that you've got to uh, to decide uh, exactly what you want to do. Uh, for example, a uh, couple of guests uh, uh, that I've had on my show, uh, uh, Dr. Andrea Paul uh, became an entrepreneur when she was still 
a resident in internal medicine, and uh, she she put together a um, uh, uh, a learning program to help people uh, uh, make a better grade on their uh, specialty certification examinations. I heard that episode. She was the founder of Board Vitals. That's and exactly And Board right. Vitals just named my podcast to as one of the podcasts to listen to in 2021 for uh, healthcare professionals. So well, I like appreciate it. everything that she created. Yeah. But yeah, it, yeah. it she just, I, I thought that was a really interesting story because she just, mm. f- she found a, a deficit. There wasn't a good place to find questions for the board. So she yeah. just started writing questions yeah. and it turned into a business and she had to then hire people and create infrastructure. And mm. now what is she, I think she like consults for venture capital now, right? Mm. Yeah. She's into a number of other things, but you know, she figured out early on that uh, clinical practice was not for her. She figured out early on that uh, she was able to look at the world that we live in right now and find ways to improve it and just absolutely hit it right out of the park. Yeah. And, uh, there is another one. I don't know why they're always females. Uh, Dr. Leah Houston uh, is another one uh, who has uh, uh, come up with a way to store all of our pertinent information like uh, 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 licenses and board certifications and uh, all the things that you have to have at your fingertips to uh, apply for privileges at a hospital it can be stored securely in an area that you can access easily and that you can grant accessibility to five people. On the blockchain, yes. Uh, yeah. HPEC, I think, is her. That's exactly yeah. right. Yep. And there are others, uh, Marlene Wooster-Smith, Karen Johnson down in Florida. Both of those people have gone into the magazine publishing business and are being very successful with it. Jennifer Spector, a brilliant uh, podiatrist, uh, is now the editor of a Podiatry Today magazine. Uh, Bob Baker, that you may know, he's right there in uh, Long Island with you. Do you know Bob? I do not know Bob. Bob, Bob's a gastroenterologist. I I, I hope you'll look him up on my podcast. I will have to look up Bob. Bob is uh, a magician and a ventriloquist, and he's actually been on America's Got Talent. Well, I've got some kids with some birthdays, so we might have to hire Bob. What he does, I mean, this is just incredible. Uh, He brings his puppets uh, into the exam room and, and uses it to communicate with his patients. I'm sure it's very disarming. You can get a lot more information. Yeah. So, and, you know, I could could go on and on and on. Just about everybody that I talk to has done something a little bit different. So uh, if you want to be coached and you don't know exactly where to start, if you got just the inkling of an idea... That's, there's that's definitely the before we move on. There's a yeah. there's a joke there, definitely a ventriloquist gastroenterologist joke. Because if you think about it, you know where's his hand? So <laughs> don't think that I can't. I can't. Yeah, you know, I don't, he's, he's I just don't. practicing his physical exam. That's I know. He's good. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> that's been brought up even in his show. But he is a he's a neat guy and. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I, I will shamelessly suggest that you uh, look for him on my podcast. Yeah, definitely. There are lots of others. Uh, you know, uh, uh, or, uh, there's an orthopedic surgeon, Stephen Reich, uh, that uh, has become a really generous philanthropist. Lots of inventors, uh, just uh, all kind of things that are uh, kind of off the, the beaten path. Just and then, you know, there are eyes other, and ears open. Yeah, there, there are others uh, that, that, that want to 
get into more traditional roles, committee participation, hospital management board uh, participation, uh, which I did. Uh, and, uh, you know, all of those things are obviously things that were not taught to us when we were medical students or interns or residents. And uh, sure, uh, I think there are a lot of opportunities to help people get a leg up uh, when they're trying to move into those uh, those sorts of unfamiliar territories. Well, in those academic pursuits, right, it looks like, it seems like they're really valuing productivity, right? Hit your mm-hmm. numbers, your metrics. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're asking for committee participation. So given there are only so many hours a day mm-hmm. and you want to focus on one of those things over the other, what would you recommend? Committee participation or productivity? That's kind of kind of a tough one. And again, I apologize if I seem to be evasive, but I, I really think it's a it's a chicken egg scenario. If you are not very productive, uh, you're you're probably not going to look like a good candidate to participate in leadership. So I think at some point you have to recognize that unless you show you have the right stuff, that you're probably going to be passed by. But now on the other hand, a lot of committee participation is a function of making yourself available. And so rather than stand around and wait to be invited, I think it's very important to step up and uh, make sure that people are available. And whatever committee assignment you happen to get, uh, even though it may be far, far from the one that would be your number one choice, make sure that you put your head down, look at the facts, uh, look at things objectively, and try to help come up with uh, effective solutions. And that's how you begin to to be noticed by leadership. When you're when you're on the committee, how do you make sure that you're you're being productive? You know, you said put your head mm-hmm. down and look at the facts, but like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like these meetings, they seem to just go nowhere. They right? do. A lot of times it's just, it's a lot of talking and then you break. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we have meetings, you're meeting for morning rounds. Mm-hmm. Here's a list of things that need to get done. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. Team, break, everyone make it happen. You reconvene at the end of the day, regroup. These are all the things that we accomplished. These are all the things that need to be done. But when you go to a committee meeting, it seems like a lot of just talking without much productivity. So, you know, how do we navigate that landscape? You're, you're so correct. And I, and I think that this is the place where physicians have an opportunity to be particularly effective. Because as you say, uh, in the clinical world, when we meet to solve clinical problems, we know where our focus should be, and we start to think about uh, what is a reasonable solution or what may be a reasonable solution. We have discussions about that, and and we can begin to put a plan in place. But uh, in committees, many times uh, you're participating with people whose background is quite disparate, particularly on hospital boards, a goodly number of the people, and in fact, if it's a uh, if it's a not-for-profit hospital like the one that I served, the numbers of physicians has to be less than the numbers of community members. So you need to make it a point to 
educate everybody about what they're talking about. And uh, I find that people are able to think more clearly and make better decisions when they understand what they're trying to approach. And we as physicians are going to be much better at making it clear what problems exist and what the problems look like uh, within the hospital settings in the strictly business world where they're talking about, you know, mortgages and purchasing contracts and things of that nature. Uh, we tend to be at a little bit more of a deficit. And in those instances, uh, it is our duty to learn how to understand that concept, uh, those conversations and participate. So that's how it happens. I, you know, it, it takes a good bit more work to, to be productive in those committees where you are with people who live in a different world from you, who, who don't live inside the clinical bubble. So it requires, it, it, it requires uh, more work on your part. And the other thing is that it takes a level of understanding that I think uh, uh, some physicians and maybe most physicians lack. And that is um, when you're talking to people about uh, life inside a hospital, pressures inside the hospital, what it's like uh, to be at the bedside day after day after day. It's one thing to tell those uh, non-clinical people that uh, you're having a hard life. And it's another thing entirely to cause that to make sense. You know, so improving your communication skills is just absolutely crucial. Uh, and that requires a tremendous amount of patience, uh, something that a lot of physicians just don't have. So, you know, those are the sorts of things that I think that uh, we we try to work on in the coaching environment. Especially at the end of one of those meetings, as we're rolling through all the things that we need to get done that we're not getting done because people are rehashing things that have already been rehashed. Exactly. Seven other times. So, yeah. So it's important to, to be patient in those times when you're at your least patient. And, you know, the, and, and, and there's another thing that, that you brought up that I think is very important. And, and, and that is if you can make enough friends and create enough confidence uh, within the people around you, you can maneuver yourself into a chairmanship of these committees. And then you're, then you're in a real, well, in a, in a very advantageous position to sort of spell it out. Here are the ABCs of what this committee uh, needs to do. And you, sir, I want you to be in charge of this. And you, ma'am, I want you to be in charge of this. And this is going to be what I want you to tell us about. Next time we get together, I want to hear what you all think. My heartache in the committee is uh, uh, so many times it seems much more like Brownian movement than solutions. <laughs> and somebody needs to get in charge and, uh, and, and, and bring some focus to it. And, and, and listen, people that do that, they get recognized right away because they're rare. One of my mentors in my practice actually once once said to me, if you see a leadership void, fill it. Yeah. If you ever see a void in leadership, just fill it. If you feel like you're not competent to be in that position, then wait for someone more competent to come along after you've filled it. Fill it until someone more competent arrives mm -hmm. and then feel free to step down. But I like that. If you see that void, fill it. And it happens in the clinical arena too, right? Nobody's taking charge of this patient. They've just been cast adrift. They don't mm. know what to do next. They don't know where they're going. They don't even know how to 
totally articulate their problem, mm-hmm. it's your responsibility to take ownership of that patient and, and direct them. And it sounds like it's the same thing in the committee. So we have experience in this and, uh, and we do this all the time. And so I, I, I think it's 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 natural. We should be leading all these committees, Randy. You bet. We should. And, and, and that's I'll, how you end up in charge. That you don't let other people. You don't let. That's how physicians yeah. end up in charge again. You, you, we, we, we have to take it. And I'll tell you uh, something else that I think is just critically important. And again, I learned this from uh, one of my uh, podcast guests. She was not a physician. She is, uh, or was, she's retired now, uh, a hospital administrator. Her name is uh, Janet Smith. Meeks. She wrote a book called uh, Gracious Leadership that has been published within the last year and a half, and it is just brilliant. And what made Janet unique, I think, is that she had no background in uh, healthcare whatsoever. Uh, Her training was in finance. Uh, The first more than a decade of her professional life was uh, working at a bank, and she got uh, invited to Uh, be a part of the uh, hospital administration somewhere. And she recognized uh, that she was working in an environment uh, in which she had absolutely no experience whatsoever. So what'd she do? She walked around and started asking the housekeeping people what they needed to make their jobs better, what the food service people needed to do to make their jobs better, the nursing staff, what she needed to, to do to make their jobs better. And she listened and she delivered. She listened. So, yeah. Yeah. So that probably more than anything else, uh, if you want to solve problems in a group, in my opinion, is to listen to what they're bitching about, <laughs> you know? And uh, and and then and everybody has to put their heads together and decide if it's really a problem or not. And, and if it is, you can, if you have respect for uh, everybody at the table, you can virtually always come up with something that's going to work, but that's truly key. You can't go busting into these places and saying, I'm the doctor here. You guys listen up and and I'll tell you how this is going to be done. It will never work. We actually talked about that in another interview about motivational interviewing. (laughs) Psychological reactance. People do not like being told what to do. If you tell people what to do, it makes them want to do it less. And anyone with children will, you know, yeah, will will know that firsthand. So you know, this is that. how it's going to be, and this is what we're going to do. Is 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 not the way to go about most things. Mm-hmm. So when you have some coming to you for coaching because they're unhappy in their current position, how do you know whether coaching is really the appropriate thing for them? How do you know if they're putting unrealistic expectations? on their coach, maybe they need a therapist, maybe they need mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. And and they're unhappy, their unhappiness is really not something a coach can help them with. That that really is very important. And I can't emphasize the importance enough. But uh, you do you do have to have that conversation. And again, it 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 is an interview process. For you in the in the early part uh, of your attempts to engage in a coaching perspective, and I think the key is is the person concerned about something that's going on right now that we can focus on and come up with a solution, 
or is this something that happened in the past that uh, has created some kind of psychological damage that they just have not been able to let go of? And if if it is if it is selection B, then no amount of coaching is going to help them anyway, in any form. Uh, and and those persons, you know, I don't know that I wouldn't necessarily go to suggest uh, psychotherapy un- unless they were, you know, clearly hallucinating or something like that. But my suggestion would be to say, you know, I, I think it's very obvious uh, that you're dealing with some issues that are strictly emotional that have caused you some uh, significant emotional harm. And you need to spend some time working on that before you think about doing anything with your career because one just absolutely cannot happen without the other. And, and you know, those people will turn up from time to time. It's critically important for a coach to recognize that and make sure that they are uh, directed to the appropriate professional, but it is definitely not a coach. Well, I think we've taken up quite a bit of your time and I appreciate everything you've, you've given to us and, and taught us and me. Any final parting words, including where people can find you and your podcast online? Sure, let's talk about uh, where we can be found. Uh, we, we happen to have an entire list, my podcast, Prescription for Success can be found at rxforsuccesspodcast.com. It's available on Apple and all of the usual podcast download platforms. MD Coaches uh, has a website uh, at mymdcoaches.com. There you can find uh, links to the blog that we publish every week, uh, also the podcast. And also the little video roundtable that we do every week called uh, Inside the Doctor's Lounge uh, can be accessed through the company website, the MD Coaches website. We are available on LinkedIn. You know, you can just uh, type in, you can just search uh, uh, mymdcoaches.com or MD Coaches, and uh, you should be certain to be able to find us. And we hope you will. Wonderful. Once again, thank you so much for your time. And um, look forward to working with you more at Dr. Podcast Network. Same here. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, and one last thing. Remember Dr. Talk Lending I mentioned at the beginning of the show? If you need quick and simple access to cash or are looking for physician-preferred rates, be sure to reach out to Dr. Doc Lending at drpodcastnetwork.com slash doc2doc. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash doc number two, doc. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.